Hello and welcome to another edition of the Celtic View podcast. My name is Martin Diel and today I'm joined once again by Celtic View editor Paul Cuddehy. How you doing Martin? I'm good, thank you very much Paul. And my fellow Celtic View reporter Mark Henderson. Thanks Martin, delighted to be here. Now it has been a very busy week for the Celtic View team and Celtic Football Club as a whole with lots of games. Uh, friendly fixtures and obviously a Champions League fixture the other night there but before we get into that the main focus of this podcast as you know is the Celtic View and this week's edition of the magazine is absolutely packed full of exclusive interviews the first of which which we're going to talk about today was with uh, Doris De Vries new Celtic signing new goalie Mark understood you spoke to him earlier on this week yeah I spoke to him uh, on Monday uh, Martin and uh, great to catch up with a new signing very, very enthusiastic, very confident, and um, you know, coming to Celtic, he feels at a great stage in his career. Plenty of experience behind him, uh, well versed in Scottish football too. So, um, you know, he came across really, really well in the interview. Spoke extremely well about the club and about himself and about what he wants, hopes to achieve here. Um, and you know, really enjoyed speaking to him. So uh, it's good to have another big character like that in the dressing room. Definitely, and I've obviously read the interview. We've had a chat about it as well. The listeners are going to get to hear all about that. And of course, you can pick up the magazine if you if you're wanting to read the interview for yourself. Paul, what about you? What interviews have you conducted this week? Have you been speaking to? Yeah, I caught up with Tom Rogic after he signed his new three-year deal. So evidently, he was uh, absolutely delighted with that. You know, it's, it's been hanging over him, and I think like all players, as he said. The last thing they want is to have any sort of uncertainty about their future. He's committed his future to the club and I think virtually since he's signed it, he's been so impressive for us. We've seen that in a, in a couple of games, so he's delighted with that. And I also spoke to one of the, the Celtic women's players, Karen McBrearty, who, you know, uh, you can just tell that she just loves playing for Celtic. They're a massive Celtic fan and just talking about how their season is going. Obviously their season runs from March to November, so... Um, there's still a lot for them to play for. Brilliant, so that's a, a couple of cracking interviews already and uh, we'll just dive straight into that one that you conducted Mark with uh, Doris De Vries. A brilliant chat that Mark's had with uh, the new Celtic goalkeeper. Uh, he signed a two-year deal uh, last weekend and here he is speaking to Mark about his previous time in Scotland. So Doris, your last game in Scotland, uh, it was against Celtic, wasn't it? For, <laughs> yeah, indeed, yeah, for, yeah. For Dunfermline. So, how does it feel now to be coming back, back up here time. and playing for Celtic? Um, first of all, it's, it's great to be here. Delighted. I, I want to get off and, and, and start doing my uh, doing my business. Uh, first, of course, I've got, I've, got to, I've got to recover from my ankle injury, but that won't be too long. And, um, yeah, it's good, it's good to be up here. You know, it's, uh, I've always grown fond of Scotland, especially after my first year in, in Dunfermline. Um, where I got stronger as a, as a human being, but also as a as a, as a professional uh, goalkeeper. So uh, for me, it's great to be back, and especially at a lovely club like uh, like Celtic. So what were your memories of playing against Celtic when you were at Dunfermline? Yeah, oh yeah, they were great. Um, the fir- first of all, you, you always as a as a team like that, you're playing against Celtic. You know the big opposition. You know about the history. You know about the club. You just want to beat them. Of course, you know you want to give your best performance. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't. <laughs> but um, no, got some great memories. You know, uh, especially at, uh, Celtic Park was unbelievable atmosphere. Um, but um, like I said, Celtic as a as a, as a natural um, vibe around this club um, that just impacts you as a player. So, um, like I said, it's good, it's good to be great to be part of it. 
and uh, they cut the finals. It was quite a close game. Oh yes, took a late goal for Celtic. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, a couple of minutes before the end of time, uh, unfortunately for me, but um, for Celtic, of course, a, a great victory that day. Um, yeah, like the final was a difficult year because uh, we were fighting relegation the majority of it, and uh, the cup gave us a little bit of a of a, of a boost that year. Um, and yeah, of course, you reach the final by having good some good results in that cup, and then unfortunately, just well at the time we we couldn't win it, but um, fair play Celtic uh, Celtic deserved it in the end because they scored the winning goal. Uh, does that help you as well? Coming up here, you know a lot about Celtic. You're aware of Scottish football as well. Yeah, no, yeah, and, and, well, of course I know. You know, in the in the year that I was at the firm, and um, I learned a lot about Scotland itself, um, about the people, um, especially how warm they are, how open, um, and of course I played with a with a with a couple of players who, who came through at Celtic as well throughout my career, and um, they always had great respect for the club, and uh, they always taught me a little bit about it. I don't know the full history, of course, of the club yet, but I will. I will definitely dig into that. But um, of course, I can. I know about the Lisbon Lions as well, of course. And um, yeah, now it's it's for me personally. It's just great to be uh, be be part of that, and um, and I feel honoured as well. Doris evidently excited about joining Celtic. Uh, Martin, what, did you, what were your thoughts in the interview? I think the, the first thing to pick up on, Mark, is the enthusiasm that he's talked about uh, for joining the club. Obviously, he's a, a veteran goalkeeper, uh, you know, vastly experienced, played for a lot of teams up and down the country, um, but he still kind of fondly remembers his time in Scotland, and uh, that's part of the reason why he's enthusiastic about coming here, but also he knows the size of Celtic. He talked about that quite openly, just... Uh, he might not be a historical expert on the club, but he knows the size of it, and um, it seems as if he's really relishing the the challenge of coming to to the hoops. And obviously, the fact he knows Scottish football so well, having played uh, for for Dunfermline at that point, is just going to help him too. Uh, he knows all about the game up here. He knows what the expectations are and the pressures are at Celtic, and he's someone coming up here who also knows how Brendan Rodgers works, having worked with him down in England. So I think all the ingredients are there for. You know, it made a no-brainer move for him. Um, Paul, um, you know, I don't know if you were working at Celtic at, at that time when uh, we played on film in the final. I don't know if you were working in, at, at that match, but obviously he's someone you would have seen before. Yeah, I mean, I, I was at that game. I was working at that match. He wasn't a player. I don't think goalkeepers, by and large, you know, remain much in your consciousness. I thought it was interesting. You know, it was nine years ago that he played in Scotland, so it, it, he was only 26 at the time. So in goalkeeping terms, that's relatively young. So he was quite a young man. And, and, you know, when people read the full interview that you did with him in the Celtic View, what's really interesting is that he makes the point that he, he became a man when he came here. Obviously, there was personal issues in terms of, you know, a family bereavement. But, and, you know, he had to deal with that. But he found coming to Scotland, the people at the family and helped him. But he certainly that was part of his learning process. And he's gone on, if you look at his career, he's gone to you know, bigger and better things. Obviously at Swansea, he was at Wolves and Nottingham Forest. So that was part of his whole experience. But you know, he, I thought he spoke so well, uh, so confidently. You know, It's obvious that he's he's here to challenge Craig Gordon, which will be an interesting battle for that position. But you know, certainly he's, he's not unfamiliar with Celtic. And I think he's relishing this opportunity to come to a big club and a big stage. And also, what you didn't hear in that interview, but you'll see in the full Celtic View interview, is that he, he name-checked a few former Celtic players as well. Yeah. The likes of Jim O'Brien, who he played with at Dunfermline. 
Uh, Lee Griffiths, who obviously is now reunited with at Celtic, who he played alongside at Wills, and Scott Sinclair too. So he, um, not only did he get to know more about the club from the likes of Jim O'Brien, he knows a lot of the players that are in the Celtic dressing room now as well, um, particularly the uh, Scott Sinclair. So that can only bode well for his time at the club too. I think it's quite interesting as well. I'm not sure if you've included it in the interview, Mark, but he also talks about how he would never get in a car <laughs> with Lee Griffiths. Uh, at the time, he said, you know, obviously Lee was a young player when he was at Wolves and uh, Doris was bringing him to the training ground and everything like that uh, in his own car, but now Lee can drive all on his own and but he said he'd never get in the car with him but I'm sure if he maybe doesn't trust Lee behind the wheel he certainly trusts him at the front of the Celtic attack and quite rightly so he'll have seen I mean the thing with Lee Griffiths is every club that he's gone to he's had a, a goal ratio of like one in every two games no matter who he's, who he's played for and that includes Wolves so uh, De Vries will have seen up front the, the kind of skills of the and the quality of the type of player that he's coming into with this team and as you touched on, Paul, as well, we've got that advantage of having worked previously with Brendan Rodgers at a, you know, a momentous time in uh, Swansea's history and Scott Sinclair was there as well. So there's all these wee things and that probably is a big indicator of the the type of player that Brendan Rodgers is trying to recruit. You know, Young and enthusiastic players like Scott Sinclair and Moussa Dembele, but then seasoned veterans that he's worked with and knows exactly how to get the best of them, of them out of them, like Colo Turi and Doris de Vries. Yep, all of them are coming here to make an instant impact. That's what the manager specified at the start of the summer, that he wanted to bring in players that would make the squad better, add extra quality, not numbers, because that was there already. And I think if you look at the likes of Doris DeVries, he's someone he knows very well and obviously rates extremely highly. You know, it was really fascinating to hear him speak after the Inter Milan match and say that, you know, losing Doris DeVries was second only to uh, his disappointment in losing Luis Suarez at Liverpool mm-hmm. as a player of working with. Um, and also he tried to sign Doris DeVries whilst he was Liverpool manager too. So he obviously is huge, huge, uh, he's very highly rated by Brendan Rodgers and um, you know, not only does he he understand the manager's methods and approach to the game, he also has the trust of the manager too. So, as you say, it will be an interesting battle between him and Craig, and that can only bode well. You know, if you want competition in the team in the crucial areas, and, and goalkeeping is part of that. And interesting when he mentions Jim O'Brien, he actually mentions the fact that Jim O'Brien always had his guitar with him when they were sharing the room. And Jim O'Brien actually at a Christmas party at Celtic part for the staff. He was the entertainment. They actually got up on stage and played a couple of songs on the guitar. He was actually quite good. So he also did used to do a great impersonation of, of Tommy Burns as well. So um, unfortunately, his football career didn't quite go the same way. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think uh, the biggest shock when I speak to, spoke to Doris was that Lee had passed his driving test, Martin. But um, I couldn't believe yeah. that. Yeah, I heard that as well. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, uh, great to have another confident personality. A big character in that Celtic dressing room and uh, you know alongside uh, you know Colo Touré and the other experienced members in there I think they'll help the young players along at the club too. And one of the just one of the final key things about it I think is with Doris now being there as real competition to Craig Gordon I think for certainly in the, in the past 10 years Celtic have had a stick on number one goalie and you know Lucas Aluska was here for I think it was the best part of seven or eight years and uh, now and again, he managed to be the number one for a couple of weeks at the start of the season. But we always went ahead and, and bought another keeper, and no matter what manager that uh, came in. So 
Craig Gordon has been number one for two years now and he got the number on his back last season to prove that. He's now got another season at Celtic where he's going to have to try his best to keep it. Because obviously, as you say, De Vries has played under Brendan Rodgers so he knows exactly what he's getting out of him. So it's now up to Craig Gordon to keep that top and um, that could probably only bring out the best of him. You know, that challenge, he knows he's, he can't get complacent. Absolutely. I mean, you know, a competition for places... It's great for the team, and I absolutely agree with you. I think, I mean, I think Gordon's a great goalkeeper. I'm sure he'll relish the challenge from Doris de Vries. This is a Celtic View podcast. You're listening to the Celtic View podcast. This is a Celtic View podcast. This is the Celtic View podcast. This is the Celtic View podcast. Young Celtic defender Josh Kerr's in the hot seat for the youth interview in this week's Celtic View. And in this week's edition of the magazine, he spoke about how the Celtic development squad are going to cope with the absence of Aidan Nesbitt and Joe Thompson from the team this season, with both players securing four-month loans. It's, it's, it's hard for us, but we've got a good, a good squad and we've got a big squad. So when a couple leave, it's, it's not very hard for the rest of the boys. I mean, they're, they're straight myself as well. We're, we're there, we're ready to go. So do you feel it's also an opportunity for you to when you get ah, when definitely, to match them? Definitely, because just, you may only get one chance or something, and you need to take the chance. You need to take the chance to be, prove a point as well, and um, hopefully you can maintain your spot. We've talked a bit about the, the, the difference in uh, the challenge of that match in comparison to the development league. Do you seem to handle yourself very well, quite calm? So just I will the way you are as a player. Uh, and uh, I was on loan at East Kilbride last, last year, so for six months um, I was up against men and they were on the way down. So uh-huh. they've, they've been at the top and they're on the way down, so they're very sharp mentally and they know what to do and they know how to put their body in. And it's a total different side of the game down there, and I think that's definitely stood me in good stead. And we've seen that tonight. Do you think that kind of gave you a head start when you went to matches like this? I, I would say so, yeah, because I know it's a total different. Um, Type of striker you up against, um, you up against someone who's just wanting to hold the ball in, be aggressive, and just just we, we fly things and stuff. Like that. Whereas, even, okay, maybe the boys are good more more technically in the development league, but they're maybe just, like switched on up there, so that, that's good. You also you have to go huge like periods of the game without touching the ball without having to do anything. How do you deal with that? Just need to, just need to keep mentally just switching yourself on, just making sure. I always find that when you're talking during the game, it keeps you switched on right, okay. and you're always aware of what's going on and obviously organising other people around the pitch. And do you feel as if you're quite vocal on the pitch? Uh, I, I've always felt as if I'm kind of the leader on the park. But I, I like to, to be that leader. Uh, I like to be that voice at the back. And obviously if you're at the back, then you can talk, you can see everything, so you can see what's in front of you and you can help the other boys out. What's the hopes for the new season then? What, what would you really like to achieve this Well, year? I would hopefully get a, a full season of 20s in as much as I can. Uh-huh. Get there. If I do that, then hopefully I can catch eye of the first team and keep going. But it's, it's difficult. But if I keep working hard and training and doing my seven games, I might have a chance. So Josh Kerr there speaking to the Celtic view outside a very noisy changing room at Clifton Hill after Celtic had triumphed in the Jockstein Friendship Cup with a, a 1-0 win over Albion Rovers. And uh, Paul, Josh played in that match. He was a centre-back alongside Dan Higgins. The two of them managed to keep a clean sheet. Of course, the key thing from that game was they were playing against professional footballers. Very competitive game. And uh, they're also getting an opportunity to do that in the Iron Brew Challenge Cup this season as well. So Josh kind of touched on it there, but how important do you think it is for Celtic's young players to have this uh, sample of competitive football against senior players? 
I think it's absolutely vital, and 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 I thought he was it for a young man. I thought he was a very good talker as well, and uh, it was also encouraging that with, with everything that was going on behind him, nobody was jumping in to disrupt your uh, interview. But yeah. you know, Tommy, we've you know we've all spoken to Tommy McIntyre plenty of times, and he always makes the point that it's very much about development, pushing them on to the next level, ultimately to get to the first team. So because they they've been able to play against the likes of Albion Rovers and an Athletic and Cowden Beath, not only do that but compete compete well and win the games. It's really encouraging for the talent, but certainly as part of their development to be playing against, you know, men, uh, professionals who, you know, certainly not want to lose against a, a young Celtic team. So there's a physical challenge as well as a football challenge. So for people like Josh and for his teammates, it, it can only be good. Uh, Mark, how much of the, you know, the kind of things that Josh is saying and experiencing just now with the development squad is about improving his mentality as well as his on-the-pitch attitude? Definitely, when you are playing against players, you know, professional players, seasoned professionals, it just accelerates your development. You know, you're you're coming up against different types of strikers, different type, more physical players, more streetwise players, and you know, you just can't experience that development level. And I think it's fantastic that we're now, I think, moving on towards the stage where younger players in Scotland are being, being that different exposure. Um, we're seeing it in the Iron Brew Cup this season. Um, and I think it can only benefit the young players in general in Scottish football, not just at Celtic. And hopefully, you know, ultimately in the, in the long term, what you want to see is maybe a Celtic B team going into the lower leagues in Scottish football. I think it's a natural, a natural progression. You see it in Spain, you see it across Europe. And, you know, given how big Celtic are in Scotland and how well the young players have performed in all these competitions... I think it's just a matter of time. It's a no-brainer to me that it should happen. And you can see already the, you know, the the impact that the games in the Ironbrook Cup are having for the Celtic development squad, um, and it's really bringing out the the character of the players. There was the the match against Annan Athletic when we went down one goal uh, inside the first minute, but came back to win five one, and then recently. Uh, the victory over Cowden Beath, a 2-1 victory again going from a goal behind and it was two 16-year-olds that came on and scored the goals. So it's, it's really bringing out these uh, character-defining attributes and Josh talks about it as well, about the, the need to be a leader on the pitch, especially in defence. Do you feel, Paul, that these are the types of games that do kind of help refine you as a, as a character? Well, I think it's interesting if you look at, you know, and I think you, you mentioned it in the interview and the, the partnership that we used to have, it was Fikra, Kelleher and Jamie McCartan. Jamie in particular is very vocal on the pitch and you see that. And I think, you know, as Josh touches on it, you have to, because you have to make yourself known, you have to make yourself heard uh, in terms of, of where you are on the pitch as well. And I think because we're playing against senior sides, we've also got the, the Premier League International Cup coming up. Hopefully, you know, we have the UEFA Youth League as well. These are incentives for, because obviously Josh is trying to push, I think it's his second year at the club, so he's trying to push into the development squad on a regular basis. So that's the incentive for players like him, is that the fact that they're not only going to be playing in the development league, and, and we've set the benchmark last season with the, the Invincibles, but they also want to be playing at this high level, because I also think that's how they maybe catch the manager's eye, because if he's seen them, and they compete well against Cowdenbeath or Albion Rovers, or when we, we play in Europe, or we play against English sides, then it gives him food for thought as well, and they maybe get a chance to come and train with the first team, and, and again, that just adds to their development. You have to sort of believe, Mark, that the uh, the enthusiasm and the belief in these young players to develop at Celtic must be at a kind of peak level just now, with a manager like Brendan Rodgers at the helm, 
and the kind of pathway that's been carved out by the likes of Kieran Tierney and Callum McGregor in recent years. I think you can sense that optimism and upbeat atmosphere around the, the young players at Celtic, Martin. Certainly when you interview them, you know, you speak to them after games, you can sense that they, they sense that there is that progression there. They've got that opportunity to make the top team. When you see Owen O'Connell again this season getting in there, taking his chance, staking his claim, Kieran Tierney last season. And the players going out on loan as well that are really impressing. They're going out on loan, you know, not thinking, oh, I'm leaving Celtic and, you know, I'm going to be out of the picture here. They're thinking, I'm, I can go out here, do a Callum McGregor, really impressed for a season, come back and then take a leap into the first team. So there is that general positivity there. And, you know, you're talking about a pathway. And, you know, when you see the likes of Fikra going out and loan to Peterhead, getting first team experience there, it's creating spaces for the likes of Josh to come up and playing the development squad, and that's really important too. It's a big thing that Tommy McIntyre and the rest of the academy team talk about is allowing players to step up and create space for the young talent coming through. So that's great to see. And, you know, Josh, who started, I think I remember the first time I saw him was the Glasgow Cup a couple of years ago, Glasgow Cup final, in which he scored in a 2-0 win. Um, you know, I think, you know, judging by his recent performances, he's really progressed, and, yeah. you know, that's really good to see. And, and the other, you know, the point you're making about the pathway is that the Motherwell game, I think, is a perfect example in the League Cup. We finished with six academy graduates on, on the park and that, that must be fantastic for, for all the young guys coming through the ranks. And it's the, the, the key thing as well that Josh touches on is to, to make it to the first team. It's not just about what you do on the pitch. It's a whole um, sort of... It's who, it's who you are as a person, your attitude and things that you're doing in the gym as well. And he expands on that in the, the full interview, um, especially as a, a centre-half. He feels that it's uh, vital for him to continue to sort of bulk up and get bigger as a player. And there's nobody better as an example talking about this pathway than Kieran Tierney, a guy who's just constantly putting in the hours, sort of morning, noon and night, before and after training, and at times playing through niggling injuries just to make sure he keeps his, his space in that team. Yeah, it's, it's a real holistic approach, I think, for every young player at Celtic. That's the word I was looking for, cheers, man. <laughs> <laughs> As you say, it's, it's not just uh, performances on the pitch, it's physical, it's mental, it's about character as well, and uh, it's about that consistency and training behind the scenes, and that is what, what got Kieran his chance and mm. what's kept him in the team uh, under another manager as well now. As soon as Brendan Rodgers came in, he saw Kieran, and after I think it was his first session, he, he offered him a new contract. And you know that's what all young players at Celtic have got to aspire to now. And it's great to have someone like Kieran there leading the way for the rest of the club's youth players. I just thought it was that Josh has a has a hint of that in him about KT. Obviously, KT is a much more quiet and subdued uh, character, but Josh is, is very vocal on the pitch. I remember second last game of the under 17s season. Uh, earlier on this year, and we were at Hibs training ground, and I was on, I was like on the pitch to do the coverage, such as the the facilities at uh, some of these grounds. But um, I just could, I could hear everything that Josh was saying. He was directing the defence, which was crucial for a really uh, tense match like that when there were really young players playing, trying to get the league and trying to get European football. And then the other night there against Albion Rovers as well, you know, playing against a. Sort of a, a team full of experienced guys, decent crowd, uh, quite a vocal crowd as well. But you could see Josh was there combining with Dan really well and sort of directing the defence. And I think that's particularly important uh, for a defender at Celtic. <laughs>
This week's Celtic View is packed full of exclusive interviews and features as Paradise continues rocking after Wednesday night's 5-2 victory over Hapoel Beersheba in the Champions League playoff. Manager Brendan Rodgers praises his players for their attitude since he's come to the club and also thanks the fans for their backing this season. Colo Torre tells us why he's aiming to pass on his experience to the younger players at the club, just as the likes of Patrick Vieira, Thierry Henry and Dennis Bergkamp did to him. James Forrest and Tom Rogic talk about their delight at signing new contracts, while we have our first interview with new boy Doris De Vries. And you can also find out what Captain Scott Brown's essential travel item is in our weekly Home and Away feature. There's all this and much, much more, including an interview with Lisbon Lion John Clark, who answers fans' questions. The Celtic View is the voice of the champions and it's on sale now from stores or you can download the digital version. I caught up with Colo Touri recently at Lennox Town and I asked the experienced defender what his first impressions were of the Celtic squad. In terms of the, the players at the club, have you had a warm welcome from them and what have you made of the quality? Uh, welcome from a few guys in the club, uh, Logan, Gaz, you know, and Katie was my the first guy I met in the dressing room, you know, okay. and uh, was really helpful with me, you know, did my my house bath for the first time I came, I asked and he just did my my house bath for me, you know, and I have a young player who cleaned my boots, you know, and really see people who like to help. And I was really amazed by that, you know, and that showed that the team spirit, you know, the team uh, mentality is great and the respect as well is very, very important. You know, and I can see that. And of course, with uh, the captain, Brownie, uh, who is really funny guy, top guy, you know, uh, looking for fines every time. <laughs> <laughs> I had my first fight already. <laughs> uh, what was that for? Uh, the driver from the I was waiting for my for the for the taxi to come pick me to to the training, okay. and he didn't turn, <laughs> and I had to fight for that. <laughs> from bro, uh, he loves a good fight, doesn't yeah, he? he loves his fights, yeah. you know. He's a top guy, you know, and uh, I really enjoy that definitely. Um, and the young players as well. We talked about Kieran Tierney, KT. Yeah. Um, impressed by them since you've been at the club. Very impressed by the mentality of the players, young players. You know, uh, they listen. They want to work hard. They give everything they go. Mentality is brilliant. You know, and I'm really, really amazed by the the young player attitude. You know, you can tell. You know, they they want to be successful. They they work hard. You know, and they listen as well when you talk to them. And that's a really, really important. And of course, you know that was one of the reasons that Brendan wanted you to come here because you could help the young players along. And there's mm. so many in this club. Are you, is that a role you enjoy? That responsibility? You know, for me, that's really important. What I learned from my football, if I can just bring that to the young players, you know, if I can help them to don't make the same mistake I done in my football career, I'm able to do it. You know, and that's why I'm here. Just want to help them, give them advice, tell them don't go that way because this way wrong. Go this way because I think this is the best way. You know, and that's what I'm here for. You know, I want to, of course, play games. You know, be the best out there. Want to play play every game. You know, but at the same time, I'm here to help young players to improve themselves, to guide them, to guide them to the to the top level. 
you know, and tell them you have to work hard at training every day if you want to make it, you know, because there is no easy way. And uh, that's what I've been doing. That's what I've learned from Patrick Vera, from Thierry Henry, from Martin Keown, from Saul Campbell, from Rui Paolo, you know, and uh, from Kanu, from Dennis Beckham, from Lauren. I've been learning, learning that from them, and I just want to pass that to your young players here. And one of the young players, Owen O'Connell, who you've played alongside in defence uh, yeah. on a couple of occasions. Uh, what have you made of him so far? Good player, bright, uh, good future, I can see. And uh, uh, intelligent boy, and working well at training. He's uh, a good boy, he's a good boy, good player. Paul Latoury relishing the responsibility of helping Celtic's young players at Lennox Town. Paul, what did you make of what Colo had to say? I thought it was an absolutely brilliant interview, Mark. I have to say that, um, not just because you're standing beside me doing this podcast, but <laughs> I, I thought you could just tell that there was just a genuine enthusiasm for football, for life, for Celtic, for his teammates. It just came through right away. You know, he just seemed to... He's only been here for, for a matter of, of days or weeks and already you can just tell he's fitting in. It's funny when you hear a new player already, he's just got all the nicknames. Um, you know, he spoke very highly, obviously, the young players. Obviously, Kieran Tierney, the fact that he ran him an ice bath in his first day. And, uh, you know, I, I, as, an, as an older member of staff, I always feel that's the kind of way that younger members of staff should uh, deal respectfully <laughs> with their elders. But um, I, I just thought it was... I think you listen to it, and I'm sure people listening to it on the, the podcast will just get a sense of, you know, as I say, a player who immediately in the dressing room is going to make a difference um, in terms of just his character. You know, the, the, some of the players he's name-dropping are some of the best players that have played in the English Premier League. So, you you know, as soon as, you know, we're impressed, but how must you feel if you're his teammate and you're thinking, he's played with Bergkamp and Vieira and these guys... I have to listen to him. You don't have a choice because he's been there and he's done it at the highest level. And it's, It just makes you realise just how good a signing he could turn out to be for us. Yeah, there was some serious name-checking in that interview, Paul. I mean, it was really enjoyable to speak to Colo. Um, it was the first time I've had a real chance to sit down and interview him and came across as a really uh, really warm character, uh, real humility about him. You know, He's obviously achieved a lot in the game and we heard some of that come across in interviews, some of the stellar names he's played alongside uh, during a distinguished career at the top level, but you know he, he's uh, he just enjoys football. He enjoys the, the dressing room. He enjoys the camaraderie, and um, you can just tell he's already instantly settled into Celtic. Um, some obviously really quite funny stories along talking about Scott Brown, um, and also you know how he's just looking forward to working with the younger players at the club, you can actually you know see that coming through. There's a genuine enthusiasm. He wants to come up here, not just make a difference on the park, but help bring the young players through, and he's been really, really impressed with them so far. I think it's brilliant to see a player like Colo Touri so dialled in so early to everything that he wants to do at Celtic. Like you say, Mark, he, he talked about the young players, but he talks so seriously about it as well, and he had lots of positives to say about Owen O'Connell, about... Uh, Kieran Tierney, but just to think, he talks about the attitude in general of the young players at Celtic and how he's willing to help them. And as you say as well, he's he's looking to make his own impression on the pitch. And so often when players in their latter years of their career, uh, uh, say, move from a Premier League club like, like Liverpool to, uh, say, a different league that's out with the kind of uh, 
financial wealth of the Premier League and everything. The questions can be raised about what they're hoping to do with the what you say the final years of their career. But certainly, any doubts over that with Colo Touri are dispelled with this interview, with the way he talks about his hopes for his, his time at Celtic. I mean, you made the point earlier on when we were, we were having a chat about Doris de Vries, is the fact that the manager's brought some of these guys in because he knows what they can do, not only in the park but in the dressing room, and that's why he's obviously bought Colo Touri, because he, he needs somebody, like another leader, is over and above Scott Brown. And, as, you know, as you mentioned, Mark, some of the young players, he's already talking really highly of them, and he's impressed with their attitude, and, and that, that can only be good for the team. Yeah, and... From speaking to Colo, I mean, I, I get a real insight into different uh, compartments of his character in that interview. You know, initially he was talking about, you know, just joining the club, how he's settled in, how he's really thriving in the Glasgow goldfish bowl of football. You know, he's loving it. Uh, you know, he, he thought he wouldn't be getting recognised if he wore a hat going about Glasgow, but that was swiftly proved not to be the case. <laughs> um, you know, he's, he's just, enjo- I think, you know, at 35 years old, you know, coming up here has just really invigorated him as well. He's, you know, loving this challenge of playing for a big club with hugely passionate supporters and going for silverware and success in Europe. So, you know, he's loving it. But also, so a little insight as well to, you know, his faith is very important to him too. He spoke a little bit that in the interview, which you can read in the Celtic View. Um, you know, he's he's it's fundamental to his life, and uh, you know, along with being a jovial character and a serious guy on and off the pitch. That's very important to him too. Uh, you kind of highlighted, Paul, but the, the concept of Brendan Rodgers bringing leaders to, to the team to help uh, Scott Brown and, and his sort of captain's duties. And I think Colo Touri definitely falls into that category. Going with what you're saying there, Mark, the Celtic Football Club's a modern football club. It's multicultural in that changing room. You have people from all over the world. And Colo Touri is a guy who has... You know, experienced that he's played football down in England, obviously, but that is a very diverse league down there. So, as much as Scott Brown is a very welcoming character and you know, a loud and boisterous character who does everything he can to make everyone feel welcome, if you're from a different culture or from a, a, a different nationality, different cultures can be different, can be difficult to to get used to. So, having someone of Colo's experience, um can help with the sort of diversity that's in the Celtic changing room just now and uh, help explain to them just exactly what happy hardcore <laughs> is. <laughs> I'm sure they've probably been introduced to it by Bruni already. But I think, you know, Scott Brown's the leader on, on the park and I think you've seen uh, how much he's enjoying life under Brendan Rodgers. I think his, his performances in the early part of the season have been good, but I, I always think that in the defence it's important to have someone who organises the defence specifically. And it's, it's sometimes difficult if you're a midfield player because a lot of times you're up the other end of the park. So having somebody like Colo Touri organising things at the back, and I think you, you saw glimpses of that at Tencastle because the ball just seemed to be a magnet for his head when it went into the area. And that, you know, again, he can then just organise the back four, so a younger back four, because he knows what he's doing, and they'll all learn from that. And, that. and that's a solid base from which to build, hopefully, a successful season. Well, if, you, if you're a player on the pitch, a young defender, and you look up and you see Colo Touri there, you know, someone that's been there and done it at every level, you know, it's just going to give you confidence and boost uh, and boost your, you know, belief on the pitch. So, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a really proven to be an excellent acquisition already. I think he's having a positive impact and influence on and off the park. And, um, you know, it's going to be really, really great to have him on board over the rest of the season. It's also a good point to make that he's a, he's a big name. It's a, it's a star attraction at Celtic. I mean, this is a guy who's played at Liverpool, Manchester City, he's played at Arsenal as well. He's 
one of the most famous title winners in you know the Premier League history with that Invincible season. So I think guys like Kieran Tierney probably made it his goal to be one of the first guys that he would see when he comes into that change room because he would have grown up watching him on the telly and now he's getting the chance to play alongside him. Yeah, I just wanted to ask one final question. Which one of you two is going to be running with ice bath? <laughs> Glad you brought this back <laughs> yeah. full circle. Can yeah. I just say, even if there were baths in here, there's no way I'd be running them for you. No, I think uh, I think I might be going to HR, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Celtic View podcast. You're listening to the Celtic View podcast. This is the Celtic View podcast. This is the Celtic View podcast. <laughs> Hello, I'm Paul Cuddihy, editor of the Celtic View, and joining me for this section of the podcast, Celtic, Celtic, that's the team for me, is Harry Brady, one of the men behind the very, very popular Celtic Underground podcast. Thanks for joining us, Harry. It's a pleasure, and I finally get to meet the beard in person. See, you have to, for people who don't know me, they have to just imagine what that looks like. Obviously, it's an audio podcast, but I, I have to say it is quite magnificent. It is a magnificent beard, yeah. yeah. Just, just imagine the most bearded, imagine Santa. <laughs> You've all got off to a good start. You've got off to a good start. Um, the first question I always uh, ask people on this section is, "What is your earliest Celtic memory?" It's uh, it's difficult to put a, my earliest Celtic memory. It's difficult to put the exact thing on it because you know when you're really young, things merge into into one memory. So there's sort of three memories in one. My first Celtic game, I was three and three and a half, I think I was, and Celtic played Arbroath. Gordon Marshall's dad, this is how old I'm now getting, a player who's retired, his dad was in goals for our growth. Gordon Marshall's dad was in goals for our growth that day. But that sort of merges into my memories of that game on the park, merged with my first old firm memory, which was being in the main stand at Hamden. And I just remember this guy coming in with like this big uh, sheepskin coat, you know, the bits of Del boy yeah. And opening it up and inside, he had like a row of like miniature whiskies. And was just offering it round to people. And to this day, 40 odd years later, I couldn't tell you whether that man supported Celtic or Rangers. <laughs> so that's my earliest memories. And to put it in context, I wasn't allowed to another Celtic Rangers game for another 11 years. Right. So Is that because of the whiskey that was on offer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was still steaming. There. I still had the hangover for 11 years. <laughs> now, if that's your earliest memories, who, who would have been your Celtic hero when you were growing up? My big, I wanted to be a goalkeeper, so my big Celtic hero was Peter Latchford. Um, I was, we'd just gone through that phase of, as I started going, we'd just gone through that phase of Ali Hunter and Dennis Cunningham and uh, John Fallon and you know, people who'd been in and out of the team for a game or two. And then Peter Latchford arrived and he was only, only he was keep, first team keeper for five years. But that was my five formative years. So it felt like he was the keeper forever. Yeah. We had a brief period where Roy Baines came in. Um, we did the swap with Roy Baines and Andy Ritchie, and Roy Baines played for some games. And there was a guy called Patrick Barkley who played a one-off game that I always remember uh, because we wrote his name, my brother and I wrote his name on the back of the Celtic jersey in our Subutio set. He only ever played one game. Um, and I don't know what he does now, so if he's ever listening to the Celtic View <laughs> podcast, he can let you know. Uh, he played one game, but... Pretty much it was Peter Latchford, and I wanted to be a goalkeeper, so Peter Latchford. I even wanted to, he lurched about in slow motion, I even wanted to walk like Peter Latchford in goals, and so he was my first hero. That is certainly hero worship. <laughs> in fact, I've still got a scarf in the loft that says Peter number one on it. Brilliant, brilliant. Great bit of Celtic memorabilia. Yes. 
Now, if I gave you the gift of, of time travel and you could go back and watch any Celtic player from our past in their prime, mm-hmm. is there anything in particular that stands out for you? I'd love to watch Jimmy McGrory because I'm not one for... I know we, we did it and we talk about it. I'm not one for greatest ever something because how could I possibly say that Jimmy McGrory was better or worse than... Gallagher or Quinn or Larson or Johnson because I can only I can only say on people that I've watched in the last 40 years which then really then turns into 10 years of that becomes irrelevant because your first 10 years are not really so it's really only the last 30 years that I can you can start to judge a player so I'd love to go back I think Jimmy McGrory although we voted for Jimmy Johnson but I think Jimmy McGrory surely must have been the greatest ever Celtic player so it'd be interesting to go back and see him, a guy with his goal-scoring record that will never be beaten. I mean, it is extraordinary the amount of goals he scored. Just imagine what that must have been like to watch at the time. Yeah, and not to sound like a boring old fart, but my people listening to this, my granddad was... I always remember my granddad had a football that he had had as a boy that was a solid leather, laced-up football that, if it got wet, was a brick. Jimmy McGrory prayed for that type of football. Yeah. So it's... And then his boots are probably, like, not even as good quality as people's golf shoes would be these days. So to put it in the context of the pitches he would have probably been playing on, a football that people talk about when it was wet, it was like a brick. He, You know, he was five foot nine, yet apparently was fantastic in the air. And all of these types of things you'd like to see... Because I think if you were watching him, if you had the ability of time travel and you could actually see him, you might be able to say, wow, see, looking at all of that, if he was playing today, you might be able to get a better idea. Yeah, and you're not alone in choosing Jimmy McGrory, which tells you everything about yeah. his, his place in the, the pantheon of Celtic greats. Yeah. If you have, uh, is it possible to choose a, a favourite Celtic game from the many, many that you've been to over the years? <sighs> That'd be difficult. Because again, they're, they're all, there's individual ones. Um, I think possibly, strangely enough, would be the partisan game that we lost. Just because we kept coming back. Yeah. And you kept thinking we were there. I actually remember the following week we were, we were at home to, I think we may have been at home to Hearts, the following midweek after that partisan game, when Hearts were our rubbishy team. And, um, guy next to me getting all excited and turning to my mates and saying I, he couldn't have been here last week because how could you possibly get excited about a game of football after what, what yeah. we saw last week that was that was one Seville and you know and just the, the whole thing about it I remember at half time at Seville just just I remember saying a prayer saying just give me a goal to celebrate that I'm, I'm not I'm not actually looking to win this game now I just want to be able to say I celebrated Celtic scoring in a European final so something like that um, 95 cup final um, Pierre uh, Pierre's goal I just remember it's probably the most tense even more than Seville it's the most tense I've ever been at a football game um, that's probably the best selection and then of course the centenary season the Dundee game when we, when we actually won the league in the centenary season it's difficult to put one game. Well, I was going to say it's the difficulty of that question because as soon as you start thinking of one, you think of another one and yeah. another one, and how can you choose yeah. your favourite? So I don't know if I could choose a favourite, but there's a selection of games that really 
mattered and 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 you still when, when the minute you start thinking about it you think about your your emotions at the moment of how you know the centenary game was just everything about the centenary season and about that ground being 20,000 overfilled and and just everything about about being there for that for that moment the PF for the cup final i think it's each one of these games i've described with the exception of the partisan game it's what those games meant at the time yeah partisan game was just the incredible nature of of that. And then I'm now gonna say the Sporting Lisbon game at five nil. Um when we all came to do we go on all day with <laughs> yeah, yeah. the games. The, and then you know I feel like the Monty <laughs> Python sketch. <laughs> there's, there's there's two good reasons, there's three good reasons so yeah. Well finally we'll go into the next question. It's the final question. Is there a, a much maligned or even an underappreciated Celtic player that you've watched that you'd like to mount a defence of? Do you know, I, I tend to, in life, I tend to not like doing what the crowd do. I just, you know, so when everybody said Eddie McGeady was brilliant, I wasn't saying that. Um, so I tend to want to do the opposite. And it's probably no one specific player. It's just someone who, at the time, is getting a hard time. You know, at the moment, Effie Ambrose is getting a hard time. He's not meaning to be... Patently, he loses concentration, makes mistakes. It's not intentional. Or people used to give Anton Rogan a hard time. Actually, Anton Rogan was trying his heart out every time he pulled on a Celtic jersey. If his ability wasn't such that people didn't think he should be in the team, that's a completely different conversation about whether it changes. But I would suggest that it's the emotion of fans at the time that they give players a hard time. And then with hindsight, that changes. How many Celtic fans would be critical of Roy Aitken? Yeah, I can remember Roy Aitken virtually being hounded out of the team as captain because he shouldn't be on the park. So people just get emotional about at the time about a player. And then with hindsight, it changes. Of course, regular listeners to Celtic Underground will know that we don't have a Player of the Year award. We have a Georgius Samaras award. So, <laughs> so maybe, maybe an honorary mention should go to Georgius Samaras that anybody who ever criticised him, they were wrong. That's fair enough. That's a good way to end. <laughs> Listen, Harry, thanks very much for joining us on the Celtic View podcast. And obviously, people can tune in as they always and often do to the Celtic Underground podcast as well. OK, thanks very much, Paul. Well, there you are, folks. Another exclusive insight into some of the fantastic interviews in this week's Celtic View. Of course, we've got interviews there with Doris de Vries, Colo Touré and I also spoke to Josh Kerr but don't forget there's lots more Celtic content in this week's Celtic View which we've not even had time to touch on in this week's Celtic View podcast uh, Paul Cuddy spoke to Cara McBriarty uh, Mark spoke to Chris McCart about the English Premier League International Cup and Mark also had a sit down with Celtic legend John Clark and put his questions and your questions to the Hoops Hero using our special Twitter Q&A that we do every week in the magazine now, for next week's magazine, Mark's going to be speaking to another Hoops legend, Danny McGrain. So if you want to get involved in that, just head to at Celtic View on Twitter and submit your own questions using the hashtag AskMcGrain. All the information is on the Celtic View Twitter account. It's really simple to get involved and it's uh, been a really successful feature for us this season. Now, before we go... It would be remiss of us not to mention Wednesday's incredible Champions League first leg playoff win over Hapoel Beersheva at Paradise. 
the Celtic ceiling a 5-2 win that puts us in the driving seat ahead of next Tuesday's return leg in Israel. And Paul, Mark, the, the fans asked the team to go all in before kick-off and it has to be said, they, they certainly did it. Yeah, it was a sensational evening, Martin. Um, you know, when you're involved in the game and you're covering it, uh, it's just a roller coaster of emotions and it's very, very difficult to to analyse what's going on at the time because it's just, you know, you're in the moment. Um, but it's only when, when you're driving home after the game and I get home and I suppose like every Celtic supporter, you couldn't obviously get to sleep for a few hours so I, I digested the game, had a bit of time to reflect on it and, you know, from working here for over six and a half years, I, I can't remember covering a game like that. Uh, and certainly in a Europe, the European sphere, it was just absolutely incredible. Um, such great attacking football from Celtic, you know, in the playoff stages of the Champions League, such a tense, nervous occasion to, you know, cut open a, a decent side who hadn't conceded away from home yet in the competition uh, with such regularity. Uh, it was really, really impressive stuff, uh, and the Celtic fans lapped it up. Um, I, I, I think a few fans had spoke of Tyrrell Innsbruck as the last game they can remember like that at Celtic Park. I remember listening to that on the radio, I think, uh, just when Vim Janssen took over in the early stages of his managerial career at Celtic, and it was just utterly, utterly uh, astonishing. Um, you know, brilliant, brilliant stuff to be involved in, mm-hmm. uh, really, really entertaining, and, you know, that late Scott Brown goal, hopefully, I think, has just done it, you know, put us really firmly in the driving seat, and hopefully we can go to Israel and complete the job, and Maybe a more comfortable and relaxed evening for us. <laughs> Paul, it was a game that had everything, didn't it? It did, and, and it was remarkable. I was doing the, the commentary for Celtic TV alongside Stephen McManus, and, and at times uh, his reaction uh, kind of summed it up. You know, for example, when uh, Shiva scored, I think, the second goal, I actually couldn't get a comment out of him because <laughs> I think he, like everybody else in the stadium, was stunned because at half time, when we were off air, the two of us were just talking about how many we were going to score, we're thinking this is going to be great next week, you can mm-hmm. go, we can relax, we can have a great time, enjoy the game, no one working through. Beersheva, and even when they start the second half, Steve McManus had said, they looked like a team that, that knew they were, weren't going to win, suddenly they got this break, got a couple of goals, but it showed the character of the team, the difference that Brendan Rodgers has made, that at 3-2, they didn't put their heads down, the substitutions the manager made were, were superb, and we got you know back in. We got a three goal lead again, and I think it, I think it was the fifth goal, the one that you know Mark was just mentioning there, Scott Brown. I think Steve McManus's comment was just to start laughing. Uh-huh. He just, I don't think he could quite believe what he saw, but yeah. it was just a it was a brilliant night, and I you know I think just the manner in which we, we restored that three goal lead. I think it, it's it's a real boost for us going into the game next Tuesday. It's such a marked difference f- from a performance in such a huge game with such significance from last season to to take a three goal lead inside 45 minutes I described it as 45 scintillating minutes in the first half and sometimes that can be a phrase that's overused but it really was I, I can't remember the last time I saw a team that's come to Celtic Park in a, a match that has so much gravity to it and they've looked so shell-shocked within the first half because I really just think they, they, they came and after the previous result in the third round uh, against Olympiacos, I think they just thought they were going to stroll it. You know, they had one foot in the, the group stages. They had the advantage of playing the first leg away from home, so they knew what to do. But even after Tom Rogic scored uh, inside 10 minutes, uh, Beersheva didn't 
you know, they didn't react that well. They they started to pass the ball about and go a wee bit more structure, but really poor defending for well, it was a fantastic goal for Griffiths, but that's that uh, goal for Griffiths, and then another just a stupid foul to allow us to get in again for Griffiths to score again. So. As you say, Paul, they scored with their two real chances of the second half. Craig Gordon pulled off a brilliant save later on to kind of when the game was just teetering. But I think I have to mention Brendan Rodgers' tactical substitutions, which again, just really brave and made it the right time. Absolutely. I mean, I think the three substitutions, uh, and he, he just, he looks at the game, I think, and he can just, he makes that instant decision. You know, for example, Beaton came on the centre of the park and just, was that calming influence? It was just putting his foot in the ball and allowing us just then to to get a foothold back into the game. You know, there's no doubt the players were shell shocked after those two goals, mm-hmm. but I think Beton coming on, he was there alongside the outstanding Scott Brown, and we kind of regained control and then just pushed forward again and got those goals. Yeah, and uh, you know the fans used the poker analogy of Brendan Rodgers going all in, and those substitutions were certainly that. You know to make those three changes midway through the second half. Um, you know, Celtic could have tried to see the game out at three two and just go there with a the one goal victory because at that point the momentum had shifted in the match. But the manager, you know, made three really brave substitutions, putting two players up front and Musa Dembele alongside Lee Griffiths. And it really shifted the momentum back in Celtic's favour. Um it was a really, really astute piece of management to do that at that point in the game and I think we saw it in the Astana match as well the substitutions helped to turn the game back in our favour in that contest as well and we got the late winner through Musa so um, you know I think Brendan Rodgers uh, showed his tactical nous and game management skills there once again um, and it really really helped us to go on and, and get that crucial uh, Goal, uh, it's a brilliant word, Mark. Now, sorry, yeah. Paul. Carry no, on. as Mark was saying earlier on, I mean, this is a team who reached this round without conceding an away goal. So they, mm-hmm. their defence is the basis of of their success so far this season. We scored five. We could have scored more. Scott Sinclair had a great chance to make it six two near the end. You can't see us going over there and not scoring, particularly with the pace and and the team now. That's what I was going to say. What is the approach now for the the return leg in Israel? So obviously we have that three goal advantage. Do you think it's going to be a case of Beersheva just coming out at us and we'll sit back and try to hit on the break? Or do you think we'll maybe try and get that one killer away goal? I think it's difficult for them. I mean, obviously they're out at the moment, so they have to throw caution to the wind to a certain point. But particularly the fact that we came back from, from conceding those two goals to score another two, they'll then realise that, that, particularly on the counter-attack, we have the pace. James Forrest is playing well. Scott Sinclair down the left. Lee Griffiths that we can hit them so they will not want to, to go absolutely gung-ho because if all the, all it would take is for us to score one goal over there and then that's that's the game over completely. You have to say as well, Mark, with your team, you don't want to sort of tempt fate here, but in terms of star players that you look for at uh, UEFA Champions League level, they didn't really seem to have a talisman, you know, somebody who was taking the game by the scruff of the neck, whereas we had Scott Brown playing absolutely outstanding. Colo Turi, save for being caught out of position for the first uh, Beersheva goal, looked head and shoulders uh, above everybody else on the pitch. He was brilliant. Cal McGregor kept the ball going in the middle of the park. Lee Griffiths was outstanding. Dembele came on and had an impact. Scott St. Clair, James Forrest, all over the pitch. We had real guys that could make an impact. Yeah, even Sadie Yanko, I thought, came on and made uh, a real impact at right back. Uh, his, his pace was tremendous at times, you know, getting back and making 
really timely tackles, getting forward, supporting the attack, and he just added a bit of energy as well on that side of the pitch. But um, I mean, going ahead, ahead and into this game, you're talking about the Israeli side not having many talisman talisman in their team. They were really confident going into this game, Martin. Mm. I mean, I was speaking to a few of the journalists at the pre-match press conferences from Israel, and they were talking up uh, Beersheva. They were saying they were the best team, really, that uh, come out of Israel in many, many years. Uh, and they, the, the the press and the journalists that travelled over, really thought they would get a result. I think because you know they go into a hostile environment in the last round in Olympiakos and and got a result there that they thought oh, coming to Celtic Park they could do the same. But I don't think anything can really, uh, you know, you can't anticipate uh, playing at Celtic Park. It's just such a wonderful arena, and the noise last night in the opening five to ten minutes, helped by Tom Rogic's early goal, was yeah. just, you know, outstanding. And uh, that's intimidating for any opposition, no matter where you've played. So, well, speaking of intimidating, there, Mark, we do know that you know the the second leg it's going to be a difficult situation. For Celtic, travelling long travel to Israel, um, a partisan home crowd, thirty three to thirty four degree heat, as Nir Baton was saying in the the official match program, um, but that three goal advantage does give us uh, a leg up, if you will, for going into that environment. We know what we have to do, and speaking of those three goals, as if myself, Paul, and Mark talking about it wasn't enough for you, we've got a special treat. Uh, Paul Cuddihy, as he said, was doing commentary for Celtic TV with Stephen McManus for Wednesday night's match. And coming up now, you can listen to all of the goals as they went in and relive what was another magical moment at Paradise in Europe. Rogic puts in the back of the net and Celtic have scored! The referee played the advantage and Tom Rogic has given Celtic the lead after eight minutes. Griffiths hits it in, and it's a wonderful goal! Paul Oturi was the creator, Forrest jumps it to the back post, and Griffiths with his fourth European goal, Celtic 2, after a fierce Shiva nil. Griffiths, he curls it, it's the back of the net, that is perfect, Lee Griffiths on the stroke of half-time, and Celtic 3, after a fierce Shiva nil. Into the six-yard box, it's a chance, and it's the back of the net, and Celtic with a fourth goal of the night! Celtic with a two-goal lead, it's Celtic four, Apoel Beersheba two. It's still another chance for the captain, it's in the back of the net, 